I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Well, hello, John. How's it going? Oh, John, it's so good to see you on this gray, rainy day here in North Carolina. Your smile brightens up my life. You stopped smiling. Why'd you do that? Now it's gray again. <laughs> I, I. So today we are. T- <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny because we always, we never quite talk about or think about what we're going to do with our intros because one of the things we've always we've always talked about is just this concept of well you know it'll make us sound humid it'll make us sound more fun and then which is something we need to practice because i am actually a robot it it is true uh can confirm john mckeever is in fact a robot So what are we talking about today, John? Well, today we are talking about The Music Man with music, lyrics, and book by Meredith Wilson. The Music Man opened at the Majestic Theater on December 19th, 1957 and played 1,375 performances before closing on April 15th of 1961. The show was directed by Morton DaCosta with choreography by Anna White and music direction by Herbert Green. The original Broadway cast included Robert Preston as Professor Harold Hill, Barbara Cook as Marion Peru, Iggy Wolfington, great name, as Marcellus Washburn, David Burns as Mayor Shin, Helen Raymond as Eulalie Shin, Pert Kelton as Mrs. Peru, and Eddie Hodges as Winthrop Peru. The Music Man was nominated for eight Tony Awards and won four, including Best Actor for Robert Preston, Best Actress for Barbara Cook, and Best Music Director for Herbert Green. In the early summer of 1912, aboard a train leaving Rock Island, Illinois, Charlie Cowell and other traveling salesmen debate whether innovations are making their profession more difficult. Professor Harold Hill is mentioned as one whose sales skills make him immune from such changes. Charlie says that Hill is a con man who promises to form boys marching bands, then skips town after taking payments for instruments and uniforms. Upon the train's arrival in River City, Iowa, a passenger leaves the train with a suitcase labeled Professor Harold Hill. After the townspeople of River City describe their reserved chip-on-the-shoulder attitude, Harold sees his old friend in shill, Marcellus Washburn, who has gone legit and now lives in the town. Marcellus tells Harold that Marion Peru, the librarian who gives piano lessons, is the only trained musician in town. He also informs Hill that a new pool table was just delivered to the town's local billiard parlor. Harold devises his newest scheme on the spot. Harold convinces River City parents of the trouble that can come from a pool table. Harold follows Marion home, attempting to flirt with her, but she ignores him. Marion gives a piano lesson to a little girl named Amaryllis while arguing with her widowed mother about her high standards where men are concerned. She mentions the man who followed her home. Marion's self-conscious 10-year-old brother, Winthrop, arrives home. 
Amaryllis, who secretly likes Winthrop, but teases him about his lisp, asks Marion to whom she should say goodnight on the evening star, since she doesn't have a sweetheart. Marion tells her to just say goodnight to her someone. The next day, Mayor Shin and his overbearing wife, Eulalie McKechnie Shin, leave the festivities for the Independence Day at the high school gym, but are interrupted by a firecracker set off by troublemaker Tommy Diaz. Harold takes the stage and announces to the townspeople that he will prevent sin and corruption from the pool table by forming a boys' band. Mayor Shin, who owns the billiard parlor, tells the bickering school board to get Harold's credentials, but Harold gets them to sing as a barbershop quartet to distract them. Harold also sets up Zanita, the mayor's eldest daughter, with Tommy and persuades Tommy to work as his assistant. After another rejection by Marion, Harold is determined to win her. The town ladies are very excited about the band and the ladies' dance committee that Harold plans to form. Harold mentions Marion, and they imply, falsely as it turns out, that she had an affair with a now-deceased miser who willed the library building to the town but left all the books to Marion. They warn Harold that she advocates dirty books by Chaucer, Rabelais, and Balzac. The school board arrives to review Harold's credentials, but he leads them in song and slips away. Later, Harold walks into the library to woo Marion in earnest. For a moment, she forgets her decorum and dances with Harold and the teenagers. Harold kisses her. When she tries to slap him, she accidentally hits Tommy instead. With Tommy's help, Harold signs up all the boys in the town to be in his band, including Winthrop. Marion sets out to give Mayor Shin evidence against Harold that she found in the Indiana State Educational Journal, but they are interrupted by the arrival of the Wells Fargo wagon, which delivers the band instruments. When Winthrop forgets to be shy and self-conscious because he's so happy about his new cornet, Marion begins to see Harold in a new light. She tears the incriminating page out of the journal before giving the book to Mayor Shin. The ladies rehearse their classical dance in the school gym while the school board practices their quartet for the ice cream social. Marcellus and the town's teenagers interrupt the ladies' practice, taking over the gym as they dance. Harold grabs Marion to dance with him, and all the teenagers join in. Regarding Winthrop's cornet, Marion later questions Harold about his claim that you don't have to bother with the notes. He explains that this is what he calls the think system, and he arranges to call on Marion to discuss it. The town ladies ask Marion to join their dance committee since she was so dear dancing the shapoopy with Professor Harold Hill. They have reversed their opinions about her books, and they eagerly tell her that the professor told us to read those books, and we simply adored them all. That night, the school board tries to collect Harold's credentials again, but he gets them to sing again and slips away again. Winthrop returns home after spending time with Harold and tells Marion and Mrs. Peru about Harold's hometown. As Marion waits alone for Harold, traveling salesman Charlie Cowell enters with evidence against Harold, hoping to tell Mayor Shin. 
He only has a few minutes before his train leaves, but stops to flirt with Marion. She delays him so he won't have time to deliver the evidence, eventually kissing him. As the train whistle blows, she pushes him away. Charlie angrily tells Marion that Harold has a girl in every county in Illinois, and he's taken it from every one of them. And that's 102 counties. Harold arrives, and after he reminds her of the untrue rumors he's heard about her, she convinces herself that Charlie invented everything he told her. They agree to meet at the footbridge, where Marion tells him the difference he's made in her life. Marcellus interrupts and tells Harold that the band uniforms have arrived. He urges Harold to take the money and run, but Harold refuses to leave, insisting, I've come up through the ranks, and I'm not resigning without my commission. Hill returns to Marion, who tells him that she's known since three days after he arrived that he is a fraud. Harold earlier claimed to have graduated from Gary Conservatory in 1905, but Gary, Indiana was not founded until 1906. Because she loves him, she gives him the incriminating page from the Indiana State Educational Journal. She leaves, promising to see him later at the sociable. With his schemes for the boys' band and Marion proceeding even better than planned, Harold confidently sings 76 trombones as he overhears Marion singing Good Night, My Someone. Harold suddenly realizes that he is in love with Marion. He and Marion sing a snippet of each other's songs. Meanwhile, Charlie Cowell, who has missed his train, arrives at the ice cream social and denounces Harold Hill as a fraud. The townspeople begin an agitated search for Harold. Winthrop is heartbroken and tells Harold that he wishes Harold had never came to River City. But Marion tells Winthrop that she believes everything Harold ever said, for it did come true in the way every kid in town spoke and acted that summer. She and Winthrop urge Harold to run away. He chooses to stay and tells Marion that he never really fell in love until he met her. The constable arrives handcuffs Harold, and leads him away. Mayor Shin leads a meeting in the high school gym to decide what to do with Harold, asking, where's the band? Where's the band? Tommy enters as a drum major, followed by the boys in uniform with their instruments. Marion urges Harold to lead the River City Boys Band in Beethoven's Minuet and G. Despite the boy's limited musical ability, which is a rather severe understatement, the parents in the audience are nonetheless enraptured by the sight of their children playing music. Even Mayor Shin is won over, and as the townspeople cheer, Harold is released into Marion's arms. I have to say that for all the work he does bamboozling this town... I almost wonder if it would have been easier to just form the band. I mean, he did, I guess. He, he. I mean, maybe he's actually really a lousy con man because, I mean, he actually did do what he said he was going to do. He got them music. He, he, he got them instruments. He got them uniforms. And as crappy as it was, they played. I mean... Mission this time because of love, John. <laughs> I mean, I say that sarcastically because it's a it's a musical and the stories aren't exactly uh, literary brilliance. But I do really, really like this show. 
I like this show a lot. And I like this show a lot because there is so much good music in this show. There are very few songs in this show that are skippable. And in past episodes, we've talked about how good shows, but not great shows always have those, those numbers where you're like, okay, this is here because someone needed another song or, okay, this is fine, but it's not always to the level of other music in the show. Music Man is not one of those shows. Music Man is a show where every song from the very beginning to the very end is high quality. It's not something skippable in my mind. You know, there's one song that I always skip when I listen to this show. Oh, let me guess. Um, you have to know because it's me. It has, it has nothing to do with the song. It's all because it's me. Oh God. It, see, I would, my, my first thought would be good night, my someone or oh, no. sadder, but wiser, but no. it, with, with you, I'm like, is it Shapoopy? No, I'm not sure it's, that it's that damn child singing Gary, Indiana, <laughs> <laughs> which I gotta say, okay. Cute kid on stage always sells tickets. I get it. I understand it. Um, And to be fair, the movie version did give us the adorableness of a very, very young Ron Howard singing Gary, Indiana. So, but yeah, no, that tracks. It's it's nothing against Ron Howard or any other children who have ever sung Gary, Indiana. It is just my personal strong dislike for the sound of children singing. Nope, I, and, I will always and, skip that one. I, you know what? I, I get it. The kid needed a song. He got it. I, I don't have as visceral reaction that you do, but I guess there it is. That's good, John. That makes you a better person than me. One of us needs to be a good person on this show. <laughs> I will say though, as much as I admire this music, it is, there are aspects of it that are a little dated you do have songs like My White Knight, Sadder But Wiser Girl, that are products of their times. And that is not in any way to excuse them. They are, I mean, Sadder But Wiser Girl is incredibly sexist, incredibly misogynistic. It's very alpha male vibe, which is not, or I think it's Sigma male. I don't, I don't know. I don't keep up with the kids lingo nowadays, Um, but it's very much, uh, you know, how can I take, how can I take advantage of this woman with her feminine wiles to get what I want? And um, yeah, it's a, it's problematic. I mean, and, and I I don't say that, uh, you know, for the, the current lingo buzzword, but it like, it's, it's hard to justify up against, I feel, the rest of what Harold Hill is portrayed in this show because he does come across as very this, this very lovable, roguish scamp in a way. But then you get something like Sadder but Wiser Girl, and you're like, this is by my standards, by by our the, the current societal standards, this is a little too dark for the rest of the show. I get that in 1961, that was not the case and fine, but things change, things are updated. And this is one of those spots where it's a, it's, it's a little difficult to justify. Um, and then in act two, you have the, um, 
the scene with the native representation with the 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 quote-unquote indian raid with with the women and um actually you can get permission now from mti if you're doing this show with amateur rights you can get permission to change that scene because there's there's actually no two ways around it. That seems incredibly it's racist. It's super yeah. racist. It's it's stereotypes in the worst possible way. Um, so you can actually get permission to change that now. So they do you have any don't idea? Do, that. do you know what they're doing in the the revival that's on Broadway right now? I, I, I know neither of us has gotten to see it. Yet, no, so. I don't. I I and and honestly, it's one of those things that I've done some searching around. The, the current revival I find fascinating because as much as you have the two headliners of Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, other than that, there's not a lot out there. They haven't released a cast album yet other than the basic promotional materials for the show. I don't know. And I, I wonder if that's their attempt to get more butts in the seats, which, I mean, they've been incredibly successful with. Shows are still selling out. Tickets are still insanely expensive. Like, it's probably the second or third hardest ticket right now in New York to get after like Hamilton and probably six. So I don't. And, and one of the things that fascinates me about that revival and where I'm hoping either to get the opportunity to go see it, or maybe this will spur, spur a new tour based off of this revision is kind of what they've done to correct those moments where it's not, it, it's not as offensive as it has been in, in original productions. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I I wish we could see it so that we could know what they're doing because it's it's the challenge that we face when you do a revival of a show like this that is largely a great show but does have several moments that now are completely unacceptable. To 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 your first point about Sadder but Wiser Girl, I wonder if now in staging it there isn't a way to frame it and set it up so that that song shows more of a starting place for Harold Hill from which we see his own growth as a human throughout the show so that he becomes he, he we can we can now in our era admit that people are not always great but also give them the room to grow into better people and I wonder if there isn't a way to portray that through through this material. I think that's fair. And I, I think uh, that feeds a lot into kind of my, my view of Harold Hill. And I will admit, this show is unique for me. And we've talked about it in past episodes. Uh, and we even got into a little bit with it when we were talking about like our, our, our the best quote unquote Sondheim song is there's this concept of certain roles are so identifiable with a certain performer that it makes it difficult to see anyone else in that role. For me personally, this show has that issue with Robert Preston. I am a huge, I, I will fully admit I'm coming to the table. I am a huge Robert Preston fan. One of, I mean, I, I watched this show as a child on repeat. I love this show. I love this movie. Robert Preston is was a good singer, not a brilliant singer, but he was a product of his time. In the 1950s, 1960s, singing was not as prominent 
as it is now. Whereas now if you're on Broadway, you're a triple threat and everyone's a triple threat. And there are very few like pure singers or pure actors left. Nowadays, to be on Broadway, you have to do it all. In the 1950s, 1960s, that was not necessarily the case. Robert Preston was a brilliant actor who could sing well. He was not genius, but he, but for me, he personified Harold Hill. He he was not particularly slimy, but he he had that kind of again that roguish scamp to him. For him, it uh, he played it like it was almost a game, like it was it was fun for him. That the yes, he was trying to you know build these towns out of money, but he was also doing it to entertain himself, which you know in a roguish way is kind of funny to watch um but he also does do the character turn like you talked about seeing him grow seeing him change so that by the time you get to the end of the show you believe that he is sincere he loves marion he you know it's like okay i'm gonna make a shot at this respectability thing and paired with the fantastic barbara cook again i mean what a brilliant duo well, and, and it's funny because it does create a conflict in my mind because Robert Preston being both in the original cast and the movie, it kind of cancels each other out. So when we when it comes time to recommend recordings, it makes it tough for me because both both the original cast and the movie recording are brilliant and they both have robert preston um the school board quartet in both of the buffalo bills so it's a a a very well-established brilliant sounding barbershop quartet so good in the broadway you have barbara cook who is barbara cook i mean there's just no two ways about it we we have talked to death our love of barbara cook her acting ability her singing ability her brilliance the movie version has shirley jones who in her own rights is a brilliant performer brilliant singer brilliant actor and so they both end up bringing very different aspects to the role of marion which are both valid interpretations are both wonderful to listen to but it makes it very difficult for me like i can't tell you which one is better which one i enjoy more because they're both fantastic in their own sense because they are so different i i hear that and i respect that it's i i I agree as well that robert preston's performance in particular has become a rather iconic embodiment of harold hill I, I do wish we could see Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster do this because I, I would just be interested to see they they strike me as two individuals who have the the credentials, but also just the acting ability to take these roles that are so iconic and embody them and turn them into their own performances. And I'd be curious to see what they do with it. Talking about exceptional performances in this show, there's one person who we haven't mentioned yet, who, as always, is going to be near and dear to our hearts, and is a name that isn't as instantly recognizable, but probably should be. And that's the role of um, the orchestrator of the show, Don Walker. Now, most of you have probably not heard of Don Walker or you've heard of him in passing, he was the orchestrator for the show. And I mean, obviously, as as we like to say, orchestrations matter. This show's no exception. The orchestrations for this show are classic. They're golden. They are beautiful. They fit 
everything that Meredith Wilson wrote and only make it better. The music of this show is not great just because of the performances, not just because of what Meredith Wilson wrote, but also because of Don Walker's orchestrations. And as much as you haven't heard, like I said, as much as you haven't heard of him, you probably should have because, you know, he's he's done a couple of other shows you may have heard of. Um, a little, there was that Rodgers and Hammerstein show that, um, oh yes, Carousel, you know, not too bad. Um, you may have heard of, let's see, what else is there? Um, oh yes, On the Town, or maybe Finian's Rainbow, or, you know, I can keep going. Gentlemen prefer blonde. Call me madam. Uh, pal, the, the 1952 uh, revival of Pal Joey. The 1952 re- revival of The I Sing. And going on and, and on. And as you look through his resume, there are all of these wonderful, wonderful shows that are so entrenched in their music. And, and their music helps quantify the brilliance of these shows and they all have in common don walker as orchestrator it's such a hard thing to discuss because don walker's orchestrations are great and the show sounds like what it sounds like because of those orchestrations but unless like you would have to hear it with someone else's orchestrations to understand the brilliance of that work because they're you know this, you, you've done a lot of orchestrating. I've done a little bit myself. It's so easy to make one tiny little decision that will just completely ruin the sound of a song. And of course. Mm-hmm. He, he not only avoids making those bad decisions, but also finds such a variety of style. I mean, you said it, Carousel, Fiddler on the Roof, Music Man, Cabaret. Those are, those are four amazing hit shows with all four distinct uh, musical languages and voices. And he always orchestrates the music to be exactly what it needs to be for the show. And that's hard to do. Well, and we've talked about it in no uncertain terms, like with the the John Doyle productions of the Sondheim shows. Uh, We talked about it, oh God, a, a million episodes ago when we were talking about a chorus line and we were comparing the original orchestration to the revival orchestration. It matters. And it's something people don't always put thought or effort into. Sometimes you can tell. Sometimes you can't tell. Um, but it changes things. It changes intent. It changes the sound. It changes the feeling and mood of the show. A great example, even just sticking within the sphere of The Music Man. So The Music Man also had a revival in 2000 where there were new orchestrations by Doug Besterman, who in his own right is a well-known orchestrator. Uh, He did the orchestrations for John's favorite show, Anastasia. He, oh, Jesus. <laughs> that was a low blow. He did, you know, he did the orchestrations for Aladdin. He did for John's second favorite show. He did the orchestrations for Rocky. He did. <laughs> I mean, this is not actually helping my world at all with Doug Besterman, <laughs> but as much as I'm here, just 
just teasing um sister act which has its own brilliant set of kind of 70s funk orchestrations uh the the 2011 revival of how to succeed in business without really trying um elf young frankenstein tarzan thoroughly modern millie the producer Susical. i mean so in his own right has his own well-established body of work but if you were to listen to the 1961 orchestrations versus the 2000 orchestrations they're very different and they change for me personally the tenor of the show whereas the 1961 Don Walker orchestrations really lean into the lush orchestra writing, the, especially in the strings and the winds, and it gives it kind of this soft edge feel to it. The 2000 orchestration that Doug Besterman does is much more brass focused. And I, I get it. The whole plot of the show is that Harold Hill is quote unquote founding a boys band, but what it does is it sharpens some of those aural corners for me and it takes a little bit away from the curves of the story it, the curves of the music especially it it makes it a little harsher and that that changes the feeling of the show for me not to yeah. take not to take anything away from Doug Besterman's orchestrations they're good obviously well enough I believe he was nominated if he did not also win the Tony for orchestrations that year but it it's different it changes the show I don't have anything else I particularly want to say about this show other than just continuing to to profess my strong enjoyment of it is there anything else you want to say not really other than just the recording so as I talked about earlier there are three major recordings of this show for you to check out. There is the 1961 original Broadway cast with Robert Preston and Barbara Cook. Always going to be brilliant, always going to be fantastic. There is the motion picture soundtrack with Robert Preston and Shirley Jones. Also fantastic, wonderful. You get to hear a young Ronnie Howard sing Gary Indiana. For those of us who, you know, have a heart um <laughs> i'll allow it i'll allow it and then there is the 2000 revival recording with craig bierko as harold hill who is fine he's great he's wonderful he's not robert preston it also has the doug besterman orchestration so you would have the opportunity to compare the two and listen and, and kind of form your own opinion and then maybe someday, if we're lucky, sometime this year, we will get a cast album from the current revival with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. And then we can figure out what they do with Sadder But Wiser. <laughs> yes, Broadway producers who are listening to this podcast, we know you're out there. Urge Many them to release a, release a cast album. We want to hear it. The people want to know. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License 
by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.